everyone, and welcome once again to In the Finest Hour, a 40k competitive podcast that teaches you tips and strategies you can use in about an hour. I am your host, Sean Morgan, sometimes known as Abuse Puppy, and I have with me, as always, our good podcast host, Shaylin Allen-West. I'm glad to be back. (laughs) And our evil podcast host, Ben Jurek. I never left. Did you, though? Yes. Evil. Evil remains. I feel weird. That was the first episode I'd ever missed of the whole podcast. (laughs) You know, there's got to be one, right? (laughs) I mean, I'm bound to miss some in the future again lately, so you good will triumph Mm -hmm. at some point. Mm Mm-hmm. But you know, it's it's yin and yang. Uh, you know, if you if you're if you're an avatar, the last airbender, you know, follower, mm-hmm. or legend of Korra, you know that we eternally fight, and even if you kill us, we come back. <laughs> but but that was unfortunately like kind of the worst arc of Korra. Uh, hold up, hold up. It, it's fine. I'm just it was it was fine. It just wasn't great. You know, I I like that show. I really like what it did. It just. Hey, I'm still working through it for the first time, so both of you shut up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, let's let's talk about a little bit about uh, other stuff we're up to recently. What have you, what have you guys been doing with your your gaming life as of late, video or otherwise? Trying to squeeze it in. Yeah, it's a little bit difficult still, but uh, you know, getting more feasible. Uh, yeah, I was working crazy six-day work weeks, 48-hour work weeks, and gaming was hard to find time for. Yeah. Basically, I'm in a roleplay with Sean and kind of staring at the wall for the rest of the time off. <laughs> no video games that have uh, been holding your attention recently? Uh, No, I just haven't had the energy for anything but staring at walls. That's fair. I've had a bit of free time between just uh, a COVID scare here or there, holidays and whatnot, so mm-hmm. um, I've been able to play through a bunch of video games. I played through all of Cyberpunk, actually. Um, yeah. 100% completion, all that fun stuff. Okay. Uh, and then we got back to doing um, weekly D&D, uh, mm-hmm. so have that happening on Sundays, and we rotate, where I DM a one-shot every, couple, every other week, um, and then we play a regular campaign. Yeah, so that's kind of nice. I, mm-hmm. I'm on a Patreon that uh, that you subscribe to, and they give you the um, the the files to 3D print all their models for the module, mm-hmm. uh, and they give you a module with it too. Uh, oh. So I, I I print all the minis, and then we run through the module as a one shot. It's been freaking fantastic. That's cool. Um, everybody's liking that, so yeah, uh, that's been like the the fun thing I've been doing from time to time, and we've had a a lot of a lot of D and D, and it's been fun. Um, some 40k has been played at my house for the first time in a long time. Finally got mm-hmm. my wife to break out her Harlequins. Um, we put together one of the GT lists, and they're mean. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Harlequins. Man. Like, has any army turned around as fast as Harlequins did in ninth? Went from just, like, complete garbage tier to arguably the best army in the game? It was they're they're they just have some relatively insane things that kind of like got better due to like meta changes and this and that and like the troop master's relic weapon uh, plus like a warlord trait mm-hmm. makes him makes him a freaking wrecking ball like yeah. a flat two damage and he deals two mortals at, at you know when he finishes so it's so he like he blended through like nine boys you know by himself you know, yep. in, in one fight phase and i'm like okay um that guy's stupid yeah <laughs> yeah he's he's just absolutely absurd yeah it's uh it it's been kind of an interesting 6 months for gaming for a lot of us uh i unfortunately haven't done a whole lot of 40k but i'm i'm slowly starting to to pick things back up again as like the possibility of playing games and and actually doing stuff dawns on the horizon. I'm still, I'm trying to convince myself either to or not to start a sister's army, uh, because I do really like... It'll be good for the economy. The stimulus check is coming. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's not the issue. The issue is having too many armies. Um, the, the issue is, Sean, Yeah, is you should tell me what sisters I should buy. Well, we can talk about that as well. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> I'm starting a sister's army. That's not... I got I got a pay raise, I'm doing it. You say that like I'm not also going to start armies. Just, be- just because someone else owns an army doesn't mean I don't want to as well. <laughs> just join forces. I mean, in the immediate short term, that's the better decision. Yeah. Because then it's Shaylin's army, and then it's not officially your problem to paint. <laughs> you know, that does have a certain attraction to it. <laughs> to kind of reflect back a minute, I just wanted to say that I finally got to play the custom stampa in a real-life oh, situation. Lord. That thing is stupid. <laughs> Absolutely absurd. Did Val's it, pray it, for it, stampa finally go through to the gods that be? Like, it, 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 if it's in line of sight, it's dead. Let's just... Yeah. That that's the math. There's no math. It's it's it. Can you see it? That, yeah. That's the math on it. When when you've buffed that thing up, it just vaporizes things. Like people are talking about the new Morty and how tanky he is. It it doesn't care. Yeah, even Morty, I think, goes down to the stompa. Uh, I've never actually I haven't run the math on it, but turn one's like ninety some percent on the custom. Oof. Really? Even with the minus one to hits. Uh, Mordaka doesn't care. Oh, that's true, yeah. Mordaka, if you're not relying on a plus to hit from anything, then Mordaka just ignores it completely. Yeah. yeah Mordaka full rerolls is... It, it, it just brutal. doesn't care. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that thing... I'm expecting that thing to get a nerf. Uh, I, no I one knows it. about it yet. Shush. Mm, Shush. That's not true. We just spoiled it to the internet, you evil man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's gonna be a little while because it, it isn't popular and common enough to really, like, be a big tournament changer, but, you know, six months from now when people are actually going to events and, uh, things are starting to get rolling and, and people are realizing, like, oh, that deleted a third of my army before I even got a turn, uh, I think you're gonna see opinion on that thing turn real quick. At least I'll be partially responsible. That's yeah, yeah. It's you. You can at least sort of take credit for the destruction. I look forward to it. Well, let's go ahead and get into the main topic this week, which is one that I think uh, several of our podcast hosts hold fairly dear to their hearts, namely the psychic phase. The phase I refuse to skip. Yeah, no matter how many times I try to convince you to do so. (laughs) The psychic phase is interesting because it is very different from the other phases in the game. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone has a movement phase, and a shooting phase, and an assault phase, even if the Tau armies often try to pretend they don't. Um, But not every army has a psychic phase. Uh, there, There are many armies that literally cannot participate in the psychic phase at all, either by the design of the army itself or by choice. Um, And more than that, I think the psychic phase functions the most differently from the other phases in the game. That's not a thing, Sean. That's very true. Yeah, I mean, you can you could make an argument that the movement phase is more different than the other phases because it does not have any inherent die rolls. But uh, you know, that's sort of splitting hairs over the the specifics. Um, the psychic phase is is inarguably very different from the other phases, and because of that, I think a lot of people misunderstand it. So we want to take this week to talk about why the psychic phase is so different the way you have to think about it, and then discuss some of the strategies we have for making your psychic phase more efficient and getting the maximum mileage out of the psychers you do bring, or make sure your opponent can't get mileage out of theirs. Mm -hmm. So why don't we start out talking about why it is that it's so different? Like, we already, we made kind of a a big claim there. This is the most different phase that has ever occurred ever. Um... So what, what what is it that makes the psychic phase so different? The, the psychic phase offers a whole lot of effects and otherworldly things that don't occur in fighting or shooting. Uh, that's the simple way of putting it. But really, this is where you get the most game-changing effects between getting a completely like extra phase, like an extra shoot or an extra move, or things that just don't exist outside of it, such as 
uh, such as like adding certain auras, removing other people's auras. Mm-hmm. Um, do, and some some are completely wacky uh and they do just like a, a really really strange thing but others are just like oh i'm gonna add you know two inches to your charge and uh make shore up um some things that normally would have a much you know lower possibility of happening without the psychic phase uh and it's easily um with some of like the buff strats out buff uh, spells out there and such like that easily some of the most like force multiplication uh style of play that you can rely on uh, and force multiplication um, in this miniature game is a really, really big deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The other thing about it is that it's uh, very binary. You either get the power off or you don't. There's no, well, I shot at least two of those guys off going on here. Yeah. And sometimes you can destroy yourself. Right. It's also very binary in its participation. You either have a psychic phase or don't. Um, and as we already mentioned, a lot of armies don't. Uh, so I, I think that is like a big thing. You know, you can get these huge swingy effects, uh, but sometimes you just fail them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is such a pass fail kind of system that it it is, you have to think about it in a very different way from thinking about shooting or assault or anything else. Um, there, there's, I would say, echoes of the charge phase, uh, where you either succeed a charge or don't based on a single 2d6 roll, uh, which certainly has some similarity to the 2d6 rolls of your psychic tests, uh, but there's a lot more going on there uh, that, that changes other things. Yeah, the the, the getting ability or not is is the double edged sword of this phase. You, you it's like it's like a, at what cost do you earn these powers? Um, well, the the cost is is that you're not going to get them sometimes. And yeah. um, you know, as there's there's some theory you can talk about that we'll mention later. But like, you, you definitely at certain times of the game really really don't want that to happen. Yes. Oh. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of risk analysis involving the psychic phase that is not not like other phases where it's like, all right, I'm going to bank on this power or I'm not, and I have to decide mm-hmm. that in the movement phase. Yeah, we'll we'll come back around and touch on that one some more later because that, that has a whole discussion of its own. But definitely at the, the top of the episode here, understand that the, the psychic phase is all about risk. Uh, the other strange thing about it is often when people participate in it, they participate in it pretty minimally. They'll have a psyker. So they don't have a good feel for what the phase really does. Yeah. Uh, you're, you are typically looking at a very low number of interactions per psychic phase, even for relatively psychic-heavy armies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll, you'll hear people talking about like a Zinch psyker spam list, and it'll have like four or five psychers in it. Uh, which, if you were talking about a shooting list, like four or five units in a shooting list is nothing. Yeah. Yeah, with the with the death of the Supreme Command Detachment, I think you're going to see a bit less just yes. of lots and lots of psychers. But um, seeing seeing mass psychers is more of the psyker based armies these days, which I I actually enjoy that flavor a bit more than uh, the like some some uh, mid eighth edition like bunch of space marine librarian lists that were kind of right. Yeah, that's I'm not. Funky. I don't think anyone is particularly sad to see that go. Nope. So let's get into talking about psychic powers and why they are so important here a little bit. Uh, we touched on this a little bit, but a psychic powers can do some incredibly strong stuff. Uh, there are just the usual like plus one attack, rerolls on a unit, stuff like that, and that's obviously good. Mm-hmm. Um, as Ben already mentioned. Those kind of effects are certainly strong and can be very useful, um, but the ones that, for my money, are often more relevant are the ones that do things you can't get anywhere else, which is pretty common for psychic powers. Yeah. Um, there are not a lot of ways to remove an opponent's invulnerable save. No. But psychic powers can. So, it's, the way I would look at psychic powers are like three CP stratagems. Some of the best psychic powers are equivalent to at least a three mm-hmm. CP stratagem. Absolutely. But they're not a stratagem in reliability. That's the consequence. Yes, you you are losing the, the guarantee there. Um, but they're free. They're repeatable. 
you could do them every turn of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a lot going for them. Yes. Yeah, if you math that out, if you succeed on all five turns of the spell, and you you know you're looking at like a minimum of what would normally cost two CP, um, that's ten CP of free stuff you just did. Yeah. And and a lot of psychers can cast more than one power per turn. Like yeah. your librarian may be functionally like getting you like twenty CP of of stuff. Uh, just by being on the battlefield and doing what he does. Yes. Um. Yeah, the the math on psychers and like how important they are can be difficult to obtain or see right away, just because it's like, well, what exactly does that do? And you know, it ends up being a very important cog in the machine. Uh, there are certain armies that kind of fall apart if like two of their spells don't go off and they're only casting three spells on their turn anyway uh where there are armies where the spell go like a spell happens and it's like well cool if it didn't cool if it cool if it did cool if it didn't right uh and i I feel a good psychic tree has spells where both of those are true but that's not what we're analyzing today yeah we're not going to talk about the specifics of powers in general just because there's so many of them and that's a discussion for completely different things. Yeah. Um, one other thing that is kind of important to remember and is probably going to get more important as the edition goes on here is that the psychic phase is another phase that you can damage units in. For stuff like the Catan, Gazgul, etc., where you are limited in the number of wounds you can do to them, the psychic phase opens up some more options there. Uh, and also opens up more options for a lot of other types of sort of interaction or non-interaction. Um, you know, reanimation protocols only works against attacks. Psychic powers are not attacks. Uh, that allows you to bypass not just reanimation, but also lookout, sir, and a lot of stuff like that. The other thing to note is um, psychic powers are often the best way to get mortal wound access. Yes. Mortal wounds are... Amazing. Incredibly powerful, this edition, uh, just because we are seeing much more elite armies, uh, things like Sisters of Battle or Harlequins that really don't like having mortal wounds dealt to them. Uh, even Space Marines are not a big fan of it. You know, they're, they're two-wound models. You know, you lose a... A, a Primaris guy or a Terminator, and that's kind of a lot of value. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times it's like, oh, that Imperial Knight's sitting there with one wound left, removed from table. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a lot easier to kill a Terminator with mortal wounds than it ever will be with their zero-up save, you know, in, invuln sitting in cover. With minus one because of freaking Grey Knight Terminators and they hate you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, m- mortal wounds offer a certain reliability of, like, each mortal wound does a wound to the enemy. It doesn't matter what their defenses are. It's just going through. Yeah. A lot less chaff in this edition to intercept it. Um, mm-hmm. So that's definitely definitely something to keep keep track of. Um, it, you know, at the at the end of the day, like guaranteed wounds are, with you know, with the exception of the no pain here and there, yeah. are are a th- are a thing that you really want to build into your army. Um, you always have that decision that, you know, almost everything, with the exception, I think, I think like a Forge World tree, almost everything can take smite. So if at the end of the day you don't want to cast a smell, you can try and deal some mortal wounds. Yeah. So yeah. your psychers are never truly out of the game. Yes. That flexibility there is actually surprisingly useful. Oh, yeah. Um, I know Shaylin does as well, but I have won many games off of just like, well... All this turn, all my psychers are going to give up one of their powers to smite, and guess what? That's actually a lot of mortal wounds. So say goodbye to that unit you thought was really tough. The the cool part is, is you still have that ability where it just where it can spike. Um, yep. You know, a a spike d six mortal wounds off of a you know off of a warp charge eleven mm-hmm. um, is game changing. It's an absolute. Uh, absolute game changer in a lot of cases. Like suddenly you you, know, you nuked their uh, their smash caption or whatever mm-hmm. um, that you were p- planning on maybe dealing two mortal wounds to and praying. Instead, you, he, he's just gone now, and the game completely flips. Oh yeah. Yes. So um, <laughs> so like the it's 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 ve- definitely a game warping situation. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
Um, I've seen the game turn on its head harder in the psychic phase than any other phase of the game. Yeah, that absolutely can happen. Um, so let's talk a little bit about building lists with psychers. Uh, what are sort of the things you consider if you're like, okay, I, I have the option to take psychers. Should I do so? And if I do so, what factors are playing into my choice? Uh, for me, that's not an option. It's really hard to build a not psychic list, but I, I'm going somewhere with this. In, in a um, right. Is powers. What does the power do? How relevant is it to the list I am building? Because these are really good effects, but it's like, I'm basically buying an effect. What effect do I want to buy? Sure. Yeah, like, plus one attack isn't really good when your units are units of three. Um, versus unit of 30 with plus one attack. Exactly. So yeah, at, at the most basic level, thinking about, um, you know, thinking about these the same way you would any other buff character. Or relic. Uh, you know, or relic or, or whatever iteration of psychic power you may have, sure. I mean, obviously, psychic powers are locked in now, even mm -hmm. though a few factions have ways to swap them around. Um, what sort of value do you put on that flexibility to potentially switch between your spells? Uh, I would put a lot of power into it, because sometimes uh, if you've made a mistake, it's a way to fix it. Um, okay. If yeah. your person who had the one power you really need dies, because that shit happens, and you need it back, it's a way to, like, save yourself. Um, hmm. can also be a, a thing where it's like, well, in early game I want this power, but in late game I'm going to need this power more, so rather than being stuck with one or the other, I can have both. So best of both worlds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. With a, with a few exceptions to the rule, one thing I consider while list building is it's one of my HQ slots, and those are valuable yeah. now. It's um, true. It's, it's much harder to cram a bunch of HQs into a list uh, without either spending a bunch of CP or you know not running to run other things. Because now you have that, that weight of, well, do I bring another HQ unit, which might have a better effect or better aura or you know a better army changing situation, or do I want to bring in for the spells and the... The, the chance that I might be able to deny somebody else's spells. Um, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a weight thing. We'll talk about it later, but there's secondaries as effects, too. So that's something else to be thinking about. Yeah. Uh, I would actually say that weighs more as a negative on Psychers uh, because of the existence of Abhor the Witch. Yeah. Um, if you take any Psychers, you are denying yourself the ability to take Abhor the Witch, which is a ver very powerful tool against some armies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the beforehand, before Abhor the Witch existed, uh, you know, I would I would highly consider, you know, splashing a detachment of something into Drakari list to have just have excess psychic powers, whether it be like a Yanari detachment or a Grafrill detachment. Mm -hmm. Now with Abhor, Abhor the Witch, it's like, mm, well, I might I might just uh, skip that idea. Yeah. Along those same lines, you can look at, does your faction have non-Psyker interaction with the Psychic phase? Uh, such as Korn's ability to shut down a power, or Sisters of Battle doing the same, or bringing a uh, Kulexus Assassin, or what have you. Um, mm -hmm. If you have that kind of option, your need for Psyker may be somewhat lessened, because that still allows you to sort of play in the psychic phase and keep your opponent from just running wild, but it does give you the option to still try and do something to them, even if you're not getting to actively play the psychic phase yourself. Yes. Other thing uh, you consider with psychers, uh, not only that are taking HQ slots and such, is psychic powers aren't keyed to the core word. If you're in a core army, it's one of the few ways you can buff a not-core unit. Yes. And that has a lot of value. It does, especially as the edition progresses here and more and more armies are getting updated to uh, make use of the core keyword and all that sort of thing. You often are going to be using psychic powers primarily as buffs of some kind or another. Um, or to open up a sort of ability that you know, functionally is like a buff. Um, 
So looking at that in the same way that you look as other buff aura characters uh, is probably a good way to approach it. You know, what kind of units am I buffing? Um, like Ben already mentioned, if you're putting plus one attack on a three-man unit, not really that impressive. If you're putting on a 30-man unit, a little bit better. Um, but also looking at uh, how... How reliant is my army going to be on this ability? Uh, and I think that gets into another like major point that we, we already touched on very briefly already, but if you are building around a psychic power, like, I'm going to cast this every turn and it's going to be the centerpiece of my army, you are potentially setting yourself up to lose. Yes. Uh, I'm going to be straight here. I have had games where Grey Knights, where I've had four turns in a row of not casting a single freaking power, and they're one of the easiest armies to cast with. Yeah. Uh, you will sometimes just whiff a whole psychic phase, even with a heavy psychic army. There are some armies, like Orcs, for example, is a good example here, where there's just really powerful spells, um, like the jump and such, that you're always going to want to have that in your toolbox. You might not cast it every turn, but just alone having that in your toolbox and bringing one weird boy for it, mm -hmm. um, it it kind of opens up their playbook wide open for a lot of things. Uh, so that, that that level of mobility that it gives that army um, is just too great to ignore. So it's not, not always just a buff, but more sometimes just like a toolbox interaction. Uh, and in that case, that's one where almost every orc player should have mm -hmm. one. Yeah, and I think a good way to look at that is not... I will cast the jump every turn. It's I have the option of using the jump every turn. Um, you probably won't cast it every turn. You will probably fail it. You have a pretty good chance of perils in your cycle or out, especially if you're doing mm -hmm. you know, orcs. Um, but that threat can have a value on its own, where your opponent has to plan around, well, he could de jump this turn. I don't know if he will, but he could. Yes. Yeah, that that the playbook and what how your opponent has to react to it is easily the most important piece. Just putting him in your list makes your opponent have to deploy one hundred percent differently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I I've seen my spells affect games where it makes my opponent uh not clump together as good, have to run their characters away in weird and unnatural ways, and they lose aura tactics. It's the threat of a psychic power is not negligible. Yes, uh, but the flip side of that is. If you are planning your game around that sort of thing, it is very easy for your plan to go wrong when you fail a psychic. Oh, attack. yeah. And the thing you always need to be watching every time you cast psychic powers and every time you make a plan around an army that is using psychers is think about what happens if you fail that power. Mm -hmm. Because sooner or later you're going to... You're, you're not going to get through five rounds of a tournament casting the powers you want every turn. That's just not going to happen. And so you can't be like, well, okay, this turn I'll have to jump over there, and that'll get me on that objective, and then I'll get this and do this, and then I'll be okay. Uh, because there's a pretty good chance you failed to jump, and you need to be ready to have that happen. And think about, okay, what are these? what is this unit going to do if I don't cast the power? That is why I've always had the philosophy of, unless you have a dang good reason, move that unit. Yes, especially if it's a movement power, like, move that unit of boys or terminators or whatever it is anyway, even though you're just going to teleport them later in the, in the turn. Yes. You know, there's a lot of examples out there of, you know, where someone... You know, they're set, they did their entire setup, and then they're like, all right, here we go, Death Hex, and it didn't go off, or mm -hmm. it gets denied, mm -hmm. uh, especially in, in Psyker versus Psyker play. Like, there's going to be a lot of unreliability, where your opponent's just going to roll nuts, like 11, 12s that are denies, and yep. you're just going to have a real bad day. Um, you're going to do the same thing to your opponent at some point, uh, I hope. Yeah. But you, <laughs> uh, but like, it. It can get it can get real bad, and you have to kind of, you kind of have to hedge your bets. And you know, we're going to talk about risk analysis, but you really have to like you know be like not play to the idea of that you know especially those really high cost spells, uh, high warp charge spells, you know eights, nines, tens, even um, going going off because like they're you know make it so it's nice, but don't 
don't put your game plan about it. Don't move your army completely, you know, set up the charge, you know, a bunch of three up invuln dudes or whatever, uh, and suddenly not be able to uh, hurt them because this one spell didn't go off. Yeah. You, you know, don't take, don't take high risks where you don't need to understand the unreliability. Um, and, you know, one thing that I want to point out on the uh, unreliability and perils is that if your guy can die from a perils, um, it's, it's, you know, it's sometimes better to just to re to reroll the cast than reroll the amount of wounds you do. Um, you know, you kind of have a hard decision to make there, but that, but it, it is a clutch decision that you have to make. Yeah, Shailen, do you want to talk a little bit about perils yes. here because you are the one most intimately familiar with this? Uh, but I think it's something that's very underestimated. So there's two circumstances Grey Knights have with perils. It's either a squad casting a power or a character casting a power. With a squad, it's almost never worth re-rolling it unless they're sitting on a critical objective. Just let the guys die. Yes, although, you know, that's pretty Grey Knight-specific right there. Most people only have characters. Yeah. So, with characters, if they're at top of health, just let them perils. Um, it probably won't kill them. They're gonna take... They're either gonna get, like, into... Or, like, lose their protection and get shot off the table immediately anyways... Or not have that happen and be fine and live to the end of the game. So that's one way to look at it. But when he's down to like his last couple wounds, what is that character doing for you? Because he might explode when he perils is, and he might damage a lot of other things with it, because you can explode when you die psychically. Yes. Uh... I've ripped holes in my own army doing that. Not fun. And it it's off. I see a lot of people just cast powers because they're able mm-hmm. to, uh, which... Well, we'll talk about it a little more later, but don't just cast for no reason. Think about the chances of what happens when you cast. Yes. What if you succeed? What if you fail? What if you roll perils? Because chances of perils are not trivial. Yeah, uh, when someone pops that corn stratagem that's like, hey, you perils on any doubles, you have to really think about what you're doing that psychic phase. You don't just cast powers. Mm-hmm. You might avoid casting powers. It's like, no, I don't want to risk damaging that unit at all this this effect isn't that important to me um and sometimes it's like i don't care if this guy dies if he explodes here he hits all of this other shit great i want apparels yeah one one list building thing to kind of point out here is that in this edition your psychers since he's a character is likely going to have to be close to things to not get shot. Yep. So perils is a lot more dangerous where previously you could, you know, kind of have them hang out and make it. So if they perils, they don't hurt anything. Mm-hmm. Um, now they're almost guaranteed to do damage to your own army. Yes. That's, that's going to come up quite a yeah, bit. Yeah. So if something's close to death, you have to really be thinking about what that power is doing for you and how much the risk and reward is. Uh, in general, if you yes. need that power to go off, have some CP to re-roll it on hand. If you don't have that, that may not be a good decision for you. Yeah. Uh, well, finally, let's sort of finish this first half of the episode up talking about the psychic secondaries. And when I say psychic secondaries, I mean the only one psychic secondary that exists. You mean the one that's actually reasonable to achieve? Yeah, we talked about this in our our secondary objectives episode, but almost all of the psychic secondaries are just trash. But there is one of them that is potentially playable, and that's psychic ritual. Uh, I like to take that one against armies that aren't psychic. Basically, nah, if you can't stop me, I'ma take it. Yeah, it it's a very high risk secondary. Um because you need one character to give up three of their psychic phases at the center of the table in order to yeah. get it. Uh, and it's not cumulative across different characters. Your opponent is probably going to be going for the center of the table, too. Yeah. But, that said, if you have a very tough psyker who can move to that center of the table and just sort of do the thing... It's an easy 15 points, and that is no joke. Yeah, if you have a centerboard-based army where you got like a bunch of thick Terminators that'll hold the line in front of them, mm-hmm. and the, the, your Psyker is not doing anything too critical, that it's 15, a 15-point 15 secondary is a really big deal. It is. Um, I, I, I build throwaway character Psykers into my army for the purposes of doing the secondary on purpose. I mean, well, you also had the fact that you're, uh, you can just have like your... your whatever the medic the space rain medic yeah. uh, it, uh, so. i'm not like <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Yes. All right. Uh, but it is worth thinking about whether psychic ritual is even a possibility for your army. For a lot of armies, it won't be. Um, but if you have a very burly psyker who is able to get to that center of the table and, and hang out there protected, um, it's an extremely powerful option to have. And that's absolutely something you should be thinking about when you're putting together a list is, is psychic ritual possible for me or plausible for mm-hmm. me? And like, be open to the idea because there are you're going to run into lists that can't interact with you that well, and if they can't interact psychically, and they're not going to interact with the middle of the table, even if you were going to do something important with that guy, like, and he might only need to cast a spell turn one, mm-hmm. do it anyway. It, it, yeah. Like I said, it's it's like, a, that's an easy fifteen points. Sometimes. There's not many things in this game more important than fifteen victory points. <laughs> So it's, it's like, well, okay, he'll cast that buff spell once, and then, you know, those guys will go do their thing, and then I'll just sit here and get 15, you know, 15 points on turn 2, 3, and 4. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty big. All right, well, I think that hits the, the first half of the episode here. Let's go ahead and take ourselves a nice little refreshing break, and when we come back, we'll talk about some more specific strategies for casting and denying. And we are back, here to talk about how to actually improve your psychic game. Whee! So, let's let's start out talking about casting. Yes. What, what's the most important thing you think about or look at when you're thinking about, like, okay, I want a psyker who's going to cast spells. What, what's the biggest thing you look um, at? I have kind of a top three. Okay. How many slots of spells am I getting? Okay, yeah. So how much umph can I get out of the guy? Does he have a casting bonus, yay or nay? Mm-hmm. The last thing is, what spell tree does he have access to? Because that's really relevant, honestly. It's like, I only want one spell tree from that table. Well, then I don't need a two-power psyker. Right. Yeah, I think those are a, a real, like, big three, like, when you're first looking at a caster. Spoiler alert, Voldus is really good. <laughs> yes. Uh, because he hits all of those notches. Um, I, I want to focus a little bit on the one that I think most people... Because most people understand, like, two casts is better than one. Three casts is better than two. That's that's not hard to understand. Um, the math there is relatively simple. Um, the one that a lot of people don't get is how powerful casting bonuses are. Oh, yeah. Holy crap. Um... Because another thing is, my army has access to relics that improve casting, unsurprisingly. And it's like, where do I put this relic? I want to take it. Where am I putting it? That becomes Mm -hmm. a real question. A fair number of armies do have a relic or warlord trait or something of that sort that gives them a plus one bonus to cast. Or they're just cool and they have it innate. (laughs) Yes. Uh, But if, if you have something that has access to that plus one you almost certainly want to take it, because that really changes the math on what kind of spells you can get off. It means that those Warp Charge 6 powers are going to go off pretty consistently, rather than being sort of like, well, you might get it. Um, and it means if you're willing to put a, a command point into it, then you're you're going to get it most every yeah. turn. But another thing is, like, Warp Charge 8 goes down to 7, that means... More than half the time you're getting it. Yes. And Warp Charge 8 spells yeah. are, as a rule of thumb, pretty powerful, usually. Those are, Warp Charge 8 is really where you get all the big boy spells. The, the your death hexes and stuff like that. Where it's like, oh, this completely changes the way the game works. Yeah, yeah there's there's a lot of ways that certain armies do um, their bonuses. Some, like my orcs, for example, have a have a bonus based on how many boys are around. They you know can go up to a plus three. Mm-hmm. Um, plus which three is ridiculous. The, the, the jump goes from maybe to did I roll a three or less? Yeah. Um, you know, it, so it it's it, it but that one comes with a caveat of they of they blow up if they go above you know if they go above twelve, where other armies can Magnus can cast a fourteen and he doesn't blow his head up. Yeah. Um, and you know. 
they had this at this point sometimes you had to debate on the ones that cost cp to do like you know you, had to, you know between uh eldar can do it demons Rain can do can. it um or no not demons thousand sons um where you know you got kind of at the way your turns on when do you want that additional bonus because you're not going to do it every single turn um you kind of have to you know plan how you spend your cp with an episode on that but there's 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 definitely something to consider especially with how powerful that is um i will almost always tell you uh the buff is worth more than than the re-roll um so if you're gonna choose between buffing the cast versus re-rolling the cast i would rather buff the cast typically uh, the, the other thing that's actually really important on that buff is, uh, it improves your chances of getting super smites, uh, the, the 11 plus result where you do d6 mortal wounds, um, even just plus one there, like, very nearly doubles your chances of getting a super yeah, smite. Yeah, it also means you don't have to perils to get a super smite. Oh, <laughs> uh, you can just get on an 11. Uh, but you know what I mean. Yes, it, it, re- it, it means you're getting more super smites for fewer perils. Also, fun fact, uh, if your opponent has casting bonuses, make sure that you have it clear. Um, are they telling you the result of their roll with the modifier or just the result of the roll? Because I can't tell you how many people get confused by that. Right. There's a The next thing I want to jump to um, is when I sit down at a table and I'm planning out my turn, mm-hmm. um, my my psychic phase planning starts in the mm-hmm. movement phase. Um yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of range to, concern, to 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 consider when you're moving your psyker around um, between how is he screened, can you know is he going to be within deny range that you know that 24 inches is, is an incredibly important bubble, but yes. there are other things out there that have um, interactive ranges like stratagems that can counter you. Uh, there are certain there are certain auras that are like 18 inches and such uh, that come from other armies. Uh, specific units that can affect you during the second phase. You need you need to be one hundred percent constantly aware of all of those before you even move your psyker. Because um, there's plenty of times where some where I've seen players be an inch off, two inches off, or completely forget about the you know the, the about those uh, iron warrior not iron warrior um, the uh, space marine scouts. There's a big push and pull between I want to be in range to do my spell and I want to be out of range of my enemies deny. And it's possible yep. to be both. Um, because you can be, you know, 18 inches from your unit and, and tw- more than 24 away from the enemy. That's very possible. Even relatively short range spells, like your 6 and 9 inches, it's still possible with stringing out units, with positioning yourself very carefully. Mm-hmm. Um but you absolutely want to be trying to stay out of deny range at all times, if at all possible. And if you can't stay out of range of every deny, at least stay out of range of some of them. Um, yeah, the the art of a good psychic phase player definitely you'll you'll see them gauge that almost perfectly, and just you know they're going to have the LOS and you're not, and they're going to do all the fancy things and be perfectly spaced out, and you know that's how you can tell a good. A psychic phase player, um, and it starts. Um, in the movement I will phase. also point out that every single attack spell in the game that I know of requires line of sight. That's not quite true. The overwhelming majority of them do, but uh, for no particularly good reason at all. The Eldar ones don't. Um, but Smite does, for example. They're not the only ones, but yes, uh, line of sight is actually a very big consideration. Uh, for psychic powers, a lot of psychic powers, even a lot of buffs, actually require line of sight. Yes. Um, it's not universally true, but it's pretty common. Um, so make sure you know which of your powers need line of sight, and make sure you're ready to affect that, uh, because that can be another consideration. Is like, oh, I got I got to be in range and line of sight, and I got to be out of deny range of the enemy, and I got to be within three of something to screen me, and this and that. It can be a lot of different considerations you're trying to juggle at once. Yeah, I'll get cheeky here for a second, and I want to remind some people that line of sight is not always equal to closest. Um, yep. This this might's gonna go on the thing that has line of sight. So if you can position it. To where your guy can't see a guy that's closer, but he can see something else that you actually want to tar- hit with a smite. Um, that's perfectly you in your playbook. You can use the yep. rhino screening to aim your smites. I have done it. 
Um, Absolutely. So uh, another thing that you were mentioning there is sometimes you're going to have to be in denial range. So baiting denies is Mm -hmm. a thing. Uh, In armies where you have more than one cast, order of casting operations matters. So you can sit there and go... Yes. Well, I'm going to start with this less less interesting spell and see if my opponent will just try to deny it with their one denial trick. Always offer them the opportunity to deny as a courtesy... And as an opportunity for them to make mistakes. Yes. Although, as you say, the order is very important. There are times where you want to lead with your most important spell. And there are times when you want to lead with your least important spell. It's going to vary from game to game. I'm talking about the baiting denies technique. (laughs) Sure. Well, but I I, I want to expand that out to discussing because, like, baiting denies is absolutely a thing you want to do. Is try try and get your opponent to waste their denies on some early spells that don't really matter. Um, but at the same time, you are hurting yourself when you do that to a degree, uh, because if you perils on one of those early rolls, you may not be able to CP re-roll it, even if you want to, because you need to save that CP for a cast later in the turn. Also, um, fun fact for the opponent, if your opponent's putting CP into making a spell more more easily to go off, it's probably important. Well... Yes, I think most players can recognize that. So, the the order of your cast is incredibly important, but you you do need to think about what that order is and what's influencing that. Whether whether you think you can draw out their denies, whether they have enough denies to just deny everything mm-hmm. you do, um, or whether you can... Uh, cast a big spell early and hope to force that through, uh, and then the rest of the turn just doesn't matter. Um, There's an aspect of psychology to it, but a lot of it is going to come down to what is important in my psychic phase. Do I just need to get off my death hex because the rest of my turn depends on it, or do I want to get off as many good spells as possible because it's, I'm just going to sort of overwhelm my opponent with the weight of effective, useful spells, or are there other considerations at play? It sounds stupid, but you know, a good rule of thumb is buff before move. Um, so if you're gonna yep. if you're gonna buff a unit and then warp time, make sure you do the buffs first. Don't suddenly move your guys out of range. Same same yep. same thing at the jump. Yes, but <laughs> I will say I have been to a lot of tournaments and I've seen it done out of order. And the opponent goes, "Can I take that back?" And I'm like, "That that's that's a hard one for me." Yep. 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 Uh, you can you can brain fart in the psychic phase just as as easily as any other phase. So make sure you know the order that you need to do things in, and, and think that through. Uh, the nice thing about the Psychic Phase, it's not long. You're, you're not going to have that many actions to perform, so think them through. What are you going to do, in what order, yes. and when? Um, another thing to note is, uh, what I like to call the clicker in reference to smites, is every time you cast Smite, the warp charge goes up by one. Uh, which mm-hmm. is, again, that casting bonuses is matter, because if you want that character to cast a smite this turn, you're going to want to save him for a little later in the turn, because that casting bonus negates the smite clicker. So you can get a different smite in at normal. They won't suffer as much from the clicker as a character without the cast bonus yes. would. And you have the uh, mixed attachments, too, where if you're running stuff with, like, Thousand Suns, for example, and you're running another detachment or something else, um, you want to smite with the non-Thousand Suns caster first. Thousand Suns are no longer immune to the clicker. No one is. Yes. Oh, they're not immune to that? Oh, never mind. I I misspoke. Uh, That's a big change from 8th edition. A lot of people are still missing out on. No one is immune to the clicker. Everyone's smite goes up. Uh, That's actually one of the reasons that Thousand Suns and Grey Knights and some of the other factions that have access to multiple mortal wound-dealing spells that aren't Smite are actually very powerful in that regard, because Thousand Suns have, like, six or seven different mortal wound spells they can do. Yeah, it's pretty dumb. It's There's a lot of them, and that ability to do all those mortal wounds without having to deal with the Smite clicker is really big. Yes. Well, I stand corrected, but yeah, the the point holds. <laughs> the point still stands. You want to you want to cast with the less buff stuff or stuff you know that interacts in that with that uh, rule than 
the other stuff. Or change your Grey Knight Tide so your smites are doing two instead of one. Holy crap. <laughs> Double your mortal right. Um But uh, another thing to note here is, um, on, on the note of smites, is uh, sometimes you don't want to damage the unit that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. Like, you'll lose rapid fire range or something else. So you have to, like, decide whether or not it's a good idea. Like, sometimes it's like, my guy's only got a smite that would be useful this turn, and I don't need to kill that thing right now. Yeah, if the smite takes away my charge, I ain't doing it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. You, you, you definitely, we mentioned this earlier, but you need to think about, should I cast this spell? Don't just cast because you have a cast available. Think about, how does this spell actually benefit me and affect the mm-hmm. game? If it's if it is pulling off two or three models that extend your charge by two or four or six inches, you don't want to do that spell. Yeah. Um that that is definitely a thing I have learned the hard way in screwing myself with because I've had severe access to smites. <laughs> yes. Uh on the flip side, um Especially if you have targeted smites or access to multiple different smites from different units, um, your order can be very important because you may be removing units to make a different thing the closest target. Um, If you can use one of your targeted smites to get rid of a particular character who has denies, you can basically force them to use that deny for that character to protect them, because... You can't deny if you're dead. Uh, you, your, your psychic phase usually gives you a lot of options, a lot of choices to make. And that is where player skill can really come through, is thinking out the ramifications of those options. Yeah, a well-thought-out psychic phase is, you know, is, is, a, is a wonder to behold of how destructive it can be, because, like, you know, mm-hmm. as as Sean explained, you have you have like a unit that you smite out of the way. Suddenly, something else is closer, um, and then they suddenly, you know, they, they 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 do an astral blast, which is like an AOE uh, style of smite, where like it does mortals and mortals mm-hmm. and everything within range, and then like suddenly their entire army's collapsing based on the fact that you play the smite first. Had you play, had you cast astral blast as the first spell, it wouldn't have done nearly much at all. Uh, yeah, my right. my personal favorite is I did that once, and it was like forty six mortal wounds I did off of vortex of doom. It was insane. Yeah, you can you can potentially get a lot of mileage out of uh, your your D3s and D6s. Uh, another very important thing there is that the psychic phase is sequential, yes. which seems kind of obvious, but if you, say, smite and kill a unit, that space is now open, so you can use Gate of Infinity or to jump or warp time to move something, another unit, into the space that unit had previously occupied. Oh yeah, that's super powerful. Uh, there are there are lots of ways you can use that sequentiality to your advantage. Um since you ben say that, mentioned earlier the sort of like buff up a unit and then to jump them. Um and you can send them all the way across the table with all their mm-hmm. buffs on. Um which obviously your psychers can't normally buff across the table. Uh, that sequentiality is a very critical part of the psychic phase. Since you say that, I did want to bring up um, the fact that this is the if you have psychic powers and the ability to deal mortals, especially if you're like in combat with something. Oh um, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't need to move it, but you want that thing to you know shoot and charge, like if some something like one dude's touching a tank, um, you don't need the disengage. You can just you know you can just smite that guy off. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. So that that's that's, that's something to consider. Um, is is that is your in your in your game plans? You have that extra phase to suddenly interact, um, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of times you just don't need to disengage something, uh, which saves you shooting, fighting. You know, brings a whole lot more to the table. Psychic psychic phase mortal wounds can be very clutch for disengaging your units from something that is tying them up, especially if you have a power that can hit yourself. That can be remarkably powerful for that. Yeah, that's that's a little niche case, but every once in a while it can be real fun to like, well, I died, so I'm not in combat anymore. Yeah. No, I can shoot you. Yeah, I've gotten I've gotten my grots tripointed plenty of times, and I'm just like, cool, to jump them out, peace. <laughs> like, <laughs> and suddenly they're, they're left hanging. Um, they're like, oh, I, I'm like, yeah, sorry, buddy. Yeah. 
Like, psychic powers are really all about breaking the rules. That is why they are so powerful. They let you do things that would be impossible otherwise. Yes, and if you want to know what powers are good, uh, ask around and just read them. Sometimes it's really obvious. Yeah, we, yeah it's, we, we won't try and go anywhere near that. Well, how do, how do we deny these, Sean? What do we do against players trying to attack us with psychic powers? <laughs> Well, we've already talked a little bit kind of on the flip side of this one, but the, the easy first one is if you're not playing a heavy psychic army, you probably don't have very many denies. Most power psychers have more casts than yep. denies, so it is very likely you have one or two denies in your army, even if you are playing with multiple mm-hmm. psychers. Um, in that respect, it's very important to choose when to use your denies and know when they are going to be uh, both effective and affect the game. Yes. Um, so in that sense, like, one strategy is attacking weak rolls. Um, you know, your opponent rolls a five, you're much better off trying to deny that five than you are a nine. The flip side of that is some powers are more valuable than others. Um, if your opponent is casting Smite and Death Hex, you probably care more about the Death Hex than the Smite. Um, this is what we were talking with sort of baiting denies earlier. Your opponent is going to try and get you to waste your denies on things that don't matter. You need to be ready to save your denies for the powers that matter the most. I usually make a mental list at the start of my opponent's psychic phase, like this and this can't happen. I will deny those. Yes. But, uh, if your opponent just, like, you know, boxcars it, or gets that 10 or 11 or 12, depending on how critical it is to shut that down, you may just mm-hmm. let it happen. Um, it, it feels bad to do that, but when your opponent rolls an 11 on Death Hex, you're not gonna stop that. Um, and if it's three Terminators that they have half their army pointed at anyways, maybe you just let them go. Um, that That's a thing that is difficult to do in this game, but um, some spells are just going to happen, and you, you got to accept that, just like some of your spells are going to fail, and you got to accept that. Um, small side note here, if you're a little demoralized, and all you've got is the one deny, and Death Axe was their last power, roll the dice anyways. You can't perils on a deny. Sure. Uh, don't don't be afraid to try and deny things. Just because it's unlikely doesn't mean it can't happen. But if you have one denial and your opponent opens with Dex hex, Death Hex on an 11 and has four more powers after that, save it for one of the other powers. You're, you're probably going to be way better off saving yourself two mortal wounds from Smite than you would be failing to shut down yeah. Death Hex. Because it means you basically didn't have a denial. You throw it away. Yes. Once again, playing around your opponent's psychic phase also involves lots of movement. If you know your opponent can warp yeah. time something, put something in the way where Move they can't even blocking. land. Like warp time Morty. Warp, warp time Morty's scary. You can you can definitely block warp time Morty if you know that's their strategy. Make it so like I've had my opponents. That's their game plan, and then suddenly they don't do that turn one because I stopped it. Um, they have to mm-hmm. do something else. Yeah. Uh, it's but if you present them the situation where they can, they're going to do it anyway. So I'd I'd rather get, take the situation where I'm just going to deny them, you know, the the strength of being able to cast that spell. Um, the uh, yeah, you definitely want to you know save your CP for those really strong denials that some armies get on like a four like a solid four up. Um, it's fifty fifty, but they're it's really good good where you can deny that that eleven up death hex uh, <laughs> with just a four up. Bonuses to deny are even rarer than bonuses to cast. Yes, and the the flat denial ones that don't care about what your opponent rolled, they just work on a particular die roll, uh, like a lot of the non-psychic armies tend to get, um, those are extremely powerful because they don't care what your opponent is doing. Uh, having the threat of them is really going to make people think about their psychic phase, because, like, you can't put Morty out someplace where he might get stuck out in the open if your opponent has a 50-50 chance to shut down your, your yeah. warp time. This is a specifically demons-related, but the, the spell I'm always concerned about, whether I'm playing demons or my, or my opponent has demons, is possession. Um, it's an infinite range, 
or a doesn't matter situation. Uh, and if your guy perils is, they take double the perils. Um, so it's that that is the that is my number one consideration um, at mm-hmm. any point in time. If that if that's a if that's an option on the table, that is a, that is a scary thing. Uh, characters suddenly blowing up is real bad. Yes, because uh, that can that can kill a full health character for one CP, uh, and that is that yeah. is no joke. For armies without psychers, there are still things you can do to sort of mitigate the effects of your enemy's psychic powers, um, and they're kind of the flip side of the stuff we've already mm-hmm. talked about. Um, psychic powers have a lot of limitations. They have range limitations. They have line of sight limitations. Use those to your advantage. You can hide from shooting. You can hide from psychic powers. You can kill the psyker. That's a really good way to make it go away. The- sure. Uh, if your opponent has a psychic power that is like absolutely like, oh, this is just going to ruin my game plan, um, it may be viable to just suicide your, one of your units in to go kill that psyker. Um or to position yourself in such a way that that psyker can't easily get to you to do that thing. Uh, if you counter-deploy so that, like, their psyker's stuck on the wrong half of the board, you know, suddenly that psychic power doesn't matter all that much anymore. Um, Look, if I can die of a psychic ritual psyker, I will do it every single time. Absolutely. That d- denying them that 15 points, again, absolutely tremendous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and move blocking or moving yourself such that they they can't easily like get to you or be able to cast the power on who they want and still be in a safe place. Um, if you can force the enemy to expose their psychers in order to complete their game plan, then you can just kill the psychers yeah. on your turn. And most psychers have terrible defenses. They almost never have invulnerable saves. They usually have fewer wounds than other HQ characters. They're generally not very good in combat. Uh, Psychers are usually pretty vulnerable. Yeah. So, do we have any sort of final thoughts on uh, on, on Psychers and how you look at them in the context of the game? What, what, what do you guys... Where do you guys see Psychers sitting in the game? So, um... As, as we stated earlier, psychic powers are kind of like three, can be like three CP stratagems, or even one or two CP stratagems if they're a smaller ability. Mm-hmm. There, there's a big risk-reward system with them, and the really the best way to learn them at the end of the day is practice. Uh, you want to learn psychers? Go pick up Grey Knights for like a couple minutes, you're going to learn a lot. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find a Grey Knight player in your area, which you probably can't. <laughs> I think psychers are core to the game and they're core to the experience and they're definitely something if you want to exist in this meta you need to understand in and out Um, even if you're not playing them you need to understand that psychic phase you need to understand your opponent's spells learn the meta spells Mm -hmm. Um, if you want to be good Mm -hmm. and not get caught off guard ever know the spells and know how they're going to cast them know the order they should cast them in and at that point you can pick up them on players mistakes like if you know they did something like slightly out of sequence punish it um there's a lot of small things to pick up there's a lot of great strategies you can do to you know get after your opponent we covered as much as we could here in an hour but there's really a lot of nuance to this um and it's really important to some armies eldar without psychic without psychic powers aren't very good (laughs) that's clutch for them (laughs) You forget your psychic face yeah, as a like, Grey Knight player, you're going to feel pretty bad or really mad, depending on what turn it is. <laughs> yeah, but they're the army that, like, that's all about force multiplication because it's yeah. it's you know it's it's buff on top of force on top of that. And what it what you know on paper is kind of like a oh, okay, this unit's all right. Combined with psychic powers, suddenly they're insane. Um, so yes. they, they they turn some units up to eleven. They turn some effects um, from respectable to absolutely bonkers. And the effect that they can have on your opponent, especially um, you know, with in a phase that they may not even interact in, uh, can be absolutely demoralizing. Like picking watching a thousand suns player pick up you know uh, like five hundred points of somebody's army uh, during their psychic phase before they you know shot charged or attacked is. Mm-hmm. it's no fun um <laughs> but it's it's powerful it's good and you need to understand it to play this game well yeah uh the psychic phase is 
just as important as the other phase, even if you don't generally see as much action during it. Um, and as with any other phase, you need to understand the nuances of it, and you need to be familiar with every part of how it works. Uh, as Shailen said, that comes with practice. Um, if you're not used to using psychers, start bringing psychers in your armies. Even if maybe they're not, like, the best thing, you need to get a good grasp on how they work, because psychic powers are only going to become more relevant as the edition goes on here, and books get updated. The moment you watch, like, a handful of mortal wounds remove a really big, powerful unit to the table, you're like, huh, I didn't have to deal with that in my shooting phase at all. That's wonderful! Mm-hmm. Yeah, to reflect on what Sean said for a minute, even if you aren't playing a psychic, uh, you know, a psyker or a psychic army, when your opponent brings them, brings psychers to the table, take some notes. Write what spells they took. Yeah. To, you know... Have, have that little after-action report. Like, write down what characters are, write down what spells they have, and keep track oh, of yeah. it yourself. Um, keep, track um, of the, keep track of the cast. Keep, this is really good habit-building. This is really good note-taking. And it allows your opponent not to accidentally fudge it. It's, it's not, it could be around the bush there. Yeah, especially um, if they're but, little like, that, but that, But, you know, play it as if you're playing it and have that, have that, have that little piece of note paper down. Uh, especially with, like, people who have, like, six psychers. Like, you... You know, keeping yeah. track of that's pretty important because you know it, that that's something that that shouldn't get messed with, uh, and you'll understand a lot better if you actually write it down. You, it's it's like practicing, but not having to yes. bring them on your own. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that covers things for this week. I'm sure we will have more to discuss on this in the future. But if you have some questions that maybe we didn't cover or you want to ask about including psychics in your own army, or maybe you just want to talk with us about Warhammer, uh, we are on Facebook as In the Finest Hour. And if you want to have a little bit more of an in-depth conversation and you want to help support us in what we do here, we have a Patreon also In the Finest Hour, uh, where you can, for $5 a month, get access to our private Facebook group and the Discord server, where we all talk about politics and post memes and our painted models and our wonderful horrifying game experiences and who just bought a dog. Uh, so, thank you very much to all of our Patreons for helping to support us. We really appreciate you and everything you've done for us going through this uh, rather difficult year for everyone. So, Thank you very, very much. I'd like to thank Ryland Woodrow for doing our awesome, awesome art. By the way, he draws people mid-casting psychic powers like badass. Just Yeah, he does. Oh, God. <laughs> it's the best. If you enjoyed the wonderful sounds in our intro and our interlude, uh, you can find those by Dank Muse on SoundCloud, Spotify, and YouTube. All right. Well, next week, we are going to be talking about the updates to the core missions, because... GW made some pretty big changes there that I think we really need oh to get into. I'm actually really excited that because I totally predicted it. Yeah, yeah, it's, you know, I'm glad they did something. Now we got to discuss what they did and what it means. But until then, I have been Sean Morgan. Shailen Allen West. Ben Jern. Thanks for listening. <laughs>